Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is the Find Your Form podcast, where we aim to seek out inspiring individuals with motivating stories in hopes that they can provide others with inspiration and motivation as well. I'm your host, Jake Wells, and this is episode two. My guest today is an endurance mountain biker in every sense of the word. He's fresh off a fifth place finish in one of the toughest mountain bike endurance races in the world. The Silk Road Mountain Race is a thousand mile unsupported multi-day bikepacking race. It takes place literally in the middle of nowhere. Please welcome Jeff Kirkhope. Jeff. What's up? Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. See you, man. Yeah. My tired state. Yeah, you're fresh <laughs> off the, the the jet, huh? The Yeah, off the jet as of what is now? Last week Tuesday. Last week Wednesday. Okay, so week. Yeah. You got your you're back from uh, how Kyrgyz, Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. And where did you fly out of to get how do you fly in and out of Kyrgyzstan? Kyrgyzstan, you fly in and out of uh, the capital city of Bishkek. Which you can, I mean, I fly to Denver to Chicago and then like Chicago into Istanbul. Yep. And then, yeah, into Bishkek, which okay. it's a small, I mean, relatively speaking, it's a small town, a small town, like a million people, something like that. Okay. Um, but the so country, it's like the size of Denver. Yeah. Ish, take. Right? I think Denver's pretty big. Isn't Denver like 5 million people, 4 million people? Is it? I don't know. I don't even know. It seems you, bigger. It tells you how much time yeah. I spend in Denver. It's, span, it's expansive. So. What is? Uh, Bishkek. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's just urban sprawl. Just okay. like town, you know, houses on top of houses, as right. far as you can see. So, because uh, it's it's not part of Russia. It's not part of Russia. So Kyrgyzstan was part of Russia at one point, and yeah. I think they gained their independence from Russia. I think in like 1991. Okay. Um, but now they're their own little happy country, um, which is kind of sandwiched in between south of Kazakhstan and then borders the northwest corner of china right and there's that bit of a mountain range in, in between yeah, and right? the whole for the most part of the entire country is is mountains it's really no different than like the high country of colorado the san juans the Sawatch range visually it looks identical to that really yeah huh and then just streams and endless valleys for as far as the eye can see right so you were there doing the silk road yeah the mountain silk road race. mountain race okay um which was in its second year. Um, the Silk Road Mountain Race was, it's a race put on by um, organizer Nelson Trees, who's a UK, from the UK. Um, and the whole format, a bikepacking format. So it's basically everybody starts at one location. And then in this case, we had basically a thousand mile course to traverse. Um, we had a 14 day time limit to do it. And within those 14 days, we had to reach um, three different checkpoints and at those checkpoints we had to get like a brevet card stamped and it gave us our time and where we were at and hmm. yeah basically you just keep continuing on you're self-supported you're basically getting all your food all your water however by whatever needs uh, whatever means uh, necessary so stores and streams and local people whatever it might be okay um, but yeah so compared something stateside like um, if I had to compare it to something stateside, I would like, if you took tour divide and combined it with the Colorado trail race, like morph those two into one, that's pretty much what Silk Road would be. Okay. Um, cause the, even though it has the name road in it and we were on roads, it's like the roads are like the most roughest 
it'd be like the most the worst forest service road you could find in colorado or the worst forest service road you could find in the mountain west like it's just super bony rocky scree fields endless hike of bikes um it's definitely a mountain bike course mountain bike race yeah you're not doing curly bars on no i mean there's a lot of people that had um like drop bar you know cross bikes or you know mountain bikes with drop bars or whatever rigid rigid forks or whatever might really? be but i think they were all second guessing it by by day two yeah yeah it was pretty crazy yeah so the the course itself you said is about a thousand miles yeah, it was 1070 miles okay um, and how much climbing Ninety-five thousand feet of climbing. Can we can we just round that up to sure, thousand miles, hundred thousand feet of climbing? Like it, like yeah. it was just like endless pass after endless pass. Like you would go. The thing about Kyrgyzstan that you don't have in Colorado is um, what I like to call is like the depth of it. Like everything would, it's like you would start at three thousand feet and then you would just instantly climb to thirteen thousand feet. Oh wow! And then you would descend into a valley, which would then put you down at ten thousand feet. And you climb back up to 13,000 feet and back down to 4,000 feet and back up to 12,000 feet. So it's like in Colorado where you might start at 8,000 feet or 10,000 feet and go up from there. It's like everything started much, much lower sure. and then went high and then you went back low again, um, which made for some pretty awesome riding and landscapes. But the downfall to it for a lot of people was the like the extreme change in altitude going from so high to so low, it like it really messed with people, like really messed people up as far as like altitude sickness and stomach issues. And sure. Being able to keep food down and things along those lines. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Is that, um, did you struggle with that at all? Um, actually I didn't have any stomach issues. Um, I was fortunate enough not to have to deal with that. I did have some like GI distress late in the race. Like I think on like day, seven and eight and i'm sure that's from just eating all the junk food that we were consuming like snickers bars and coke and yeah donuts and all this other stuff that we were picking up but um i made pretty i made it pretty clear out of the gate to like to filter all of my water um to make sure if i had any food from local people or from any local restaurants to make sure it was cooked or hot yeah. um didn't have any vegetables didn't have any fruit basically didn't have anything that was cold and washed in what they would consider clean water. Right. So it's pretty crazy. Was that, was so people, some people weren't filtering their water. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's like, for example, from what I was, from what I heard and what I've been told is like, for example, Lale who got second overall, yeah. um, didn't filter water at all. So she's just drinking out of streams. So she's basically just drinking, you know, dip her bottle into a stream and drink it out of there, which certain people can get by with that if their stomach's hard, you know, is built up for it but it's like for me personally it's like there's no way i can do that sure and the entire course almost, like asking for giardia right yeah yeah it's it's like from the get-go the second you leave the capital city and head out on this adventure it's like you're put into like these these valleys that are just filled with nomadic people that are raising sheep and cattle and wild horses and there's literally shit everywhere yeah like you're sleeping in it you're riding through it and then along next to it is these massive streams so it's like you're you have to feel like personally i feel like you have to filter it but certain yeah. people don't i'm sure none of that gets in the water right yeah right, exactly <laughs> totally how could it possibly get as, in as they're standing in the water and crapping in it <laughs> as you ride by yeah for sure man yeah see i, I don't know i see to me that seems like such a big part of of the whole 
process would be right. like, how do you keep, how do you stay right. healthy? You know, I went to it's, China a few years ago and my goal was to get out of there without somehow right. winding up in prison and somehow not getting <laughs> sick. Right. Those are like the two goals, right. you know, and I was only there for like 36 hours. Right. So I could imagine doing, I mean, how long were you there total with, like, so, uh, like I was there for about three weeks. Um, eight of those days were actually spent racing. Um, but like when you're in the capital city, Bishkek, it's like, it's, it's a safe bet to drink the water. Mm -hmm. And a good and bad thing about that country is bottled water is super available. Mm -hmm. And it also results in like tons of plastic waste everywhere. Right. Um, but like when we weren't filtering water, either in the race or not in the race, it's like we were buying bottled water at stores, which it, it was everywhere. Yeah. Like super available. Yeah. So only three aid stations. Three man checkpoints. Checkpoints. So okay. The first two checkpoints were actually like way out in the middle of nowhere, um, which were held at your camps by the locals. Um, and there we'd walk in, we'd, they basically stamp our time card, give us our time of day. And then we had the option to buy a warm meal if we wanted it, mm -hmm. which everybody took pretty much took that offer. And then the third and final checkpoint was in a small town um, at a hotel. And there they had a restaurant, which had an endless menu of, you know, soups and breads and mm -hmm. whatever you wanted to, to grab. So it was those three checkpoints were guaranteed warm meals, whereas the small little towns or villages that you would pass through, you were pretty much guaranteed these like little convenience stores, which, you know, were probably anywhere from like 30 feet wide to 10 feet deep and would have everything from like, you know, bulk cookies to um, rice and beans to cold sandwiches to Coca-Cola to fruit to vegetables. It's like pretty much anything that you would desire or would want. So it's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Pretty well stocked. Though. Pretty well stocked. And from what I heard, like, people that did it the first year, it's like those stores weren't super available well, around. So due to the route or the, the stores um, just weren't, I think a lot of it was a lot of the stores just popped up like with this, with uh, Kyrgyzstan becoming like an outdoor destination. It's a big outdoor playground for people. Like there's money coming in. So now people are trying to get a piece of the little piece of the pie. The locals sure. are. So they're, you know, putting up these little stores that to sell, you know, consumer goods for the most part, mm -hmm. food, beverage, whatever else it might be. Cause I've heard the riding there, like separate from the mountain road race. Right. Um, the, the riding there is great, right? Yeah. Like, from like, I could, the only thing I could like Kyrgyzstan could be compared to like what Colorado is minus all the people and the infrastructure. Um, like it's destined to become basically an outdoor playground for rock climbers, for, um, whitewater kayakers for mountain bikers for, you know, backcountry ski touring, you name it, it's there and it's yeah. untapped. And the country is it's itself is actually starting to like dump money into tourism and they're starting to become guide outfits and huh. things along those lines. So it's, it's definitely going to be a, a hot ticket place to go. And like right now it's like, at least with the American dollar, it's like super, super, super cheap to go. Like I was there for four weeks and I think I spent 600 bucks, 700 bucks for everything. Wow. Food, lodging, transportation. Yeah. The expensive part was just like getting there, just yeah, getting just on the flight and flight. getting out there. Yeah. Uh, so as far as, I mean, you and I did the DKXL yeah. earlier this year um, in June. 
And that was my first kind of dipping my toe into what I Yeah. Ultra. I mean, I think ultra mountain bike, I guess it would kind of fall into that category of ultra cycling, ultra mountain biking, ultra distance stuff. So that was definitely my first time to kind of, you know, peek behind the curtain with that kind of stuff. But you've been doing this for, for quite a while, right? Yeah. Like my original, like my background, I think as with most competitive cyclists, especially mountain bikers, like I started with cross country, but then it's just like, I soon found out that like genetically and just like mentally, I was more prepared to go long. Like my body dealt with it better. So then it's like I naturally transitioned into 12 hour racing and 24 hour racing. And then that kind of fizzled out, which then threw me into the next logical step, which was bikepacking. Right. Um, um, and that's kind of like where I've been now for the last probably 10 years. Right. Um, yeah. Cause you and I raced together. I remember, I remember when I first met you was probably 2005, right. maybe racing like mountain States cup right. stuff, probably. you know, here in, in Colorado. So that was cross country yeah, based yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. It's like, for me personally, it's like, I've never had like high end speed, but it's like, I could find like that constant, like go all day pace and just mm-hmm. stick at it and go. And, and it's also what I enjoy. I mean, it's just like, you get to see something and there's an experience that goes along with it. There's the highs and the lows. <laughs> and that was right at the tail end of 24 hour solo being really kind of like a, a hot yeah, 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 event sure. to do right yeah like right now like there used to be 24-hour races that seemed like a couple of months and now yeah. there's like one big one which is like old pueblo in arizona um but it's just i think people in general just like yearn for something that's not lap after lap they want to go out and have like i said it's, it's an experience thing they want to go out and see something and have an adventure deal with the outcomes as they come, you know, right. The highs and the lows, whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's why gravel is, is kind of taken off for sure? I mean, gravel has got kind of that grassroots feel to it. Um, it's also got the distances of, you know, people can get their feet wet by doing 20 miles or if they want to go long, like you and I have and do 350 miles, they can do it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's pretty hospitable as far as like, people aren't really getting in over their heads. Like anybody can show up and do it. It's a pretty safe bet. And there's that adventure element to like the route finding yep. with it. You know, I think that that's interesting about, I've done quite a few gravel races at this point and some of the races mark the course really well right. as if it's like a, a mountain bike race, you right. know, the arrows and, and signs and, and some races there's zero course right. marking, you know? And I think that, that, for a lot of people that adds to the right. element of adventure. It, so with a, with a race, like the silk road, how do you, especially being in a different country where you're, where you're factoring in the water filtration right. and then food nutrition being such a huge component to an eight day race. What does your gear list look like? Are you, are you using like spreadsheets? Or are you just write, are you writing yeah, this stuff all out? Or how are you figuring out what you're to bring? Like my gear list, my spreadsheet, it is a spreadsheet, um, but my gear list basically transitioned over from various other bikepacking events that I've done, whether it be Colorado Trail Race or Smoke and Fire in Idaho. Um, prior to the event, I had reached out to Jay Peterberry, who did it last year and won. And then I also reached out to Leo Wilcox, who was there for two or three weeks prior. 
um, and kind of pick their brains along like equipment choices. Um, and one of the things that Jay had pointed out was he's like, it's a big mountain race. He's like, don't come with ultralight gear. And what was interesting was prior to that email is a lot of my sleeping equipment and even rain gear was on the ultralight side of things. And it's like, I completely just like threw all that stuff back in the closet and reach for all the stuff that I would take out if I knew it was going to be snowing or was going to rain for three days straight or whatever it might be. And it ended up being the right decision because every single day, I think except for two of the days that I was out there, it rained, it snowed, it hailed. Um, oh, wow. Sleeping at night, it got down to 20, you know, 25, 26 degrees. You know, water bottles would freeze solid. Um, it I'm like, it's definitely one of those events and it's definitely a location where it's like you bring the stuff you need to survive. It's like, even though you're doing a race, it's like you can't race if you can't move forward. So it's like you had to bring all the hard man equipment for the most part. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So yeah, I mean, weight, weight wise, what does that add to your rig? Like what's your, what's your complete setup way? Did you weigh it at all? Or do you not want to know that? I don't weigh because it's a mental thing. Sure. I don't want to do it. Like, pushing up a hill and be like oh god my bike weighs 75 pounds yeah. this is horrible i was the same way yeah. for i bet i bet i probably had not including water and food probably 30 pounds of equipment like i took you know rain pants rain jacket down jacket down pants a 40 degree big agnes sleeping bag um like a small cheap foam pad that was cut to half my body length and then I brought a, like a big mountain outdoor research bivy, um, short, you know, two pairs of shorts, two pairs of socks, rain gloves, kind of like another pair of gloves that were designed for riding when it's below freezing. Um, what else is there? Wind jacket. Um, rain jacket, wind jacket, puffy jacket. And like there was times where I wore all three of those at the oh, same time shit. and still wasn't warm enough. Wow. It's just, it's pretty crazy. Or, yeah, you know, booties, Gore-Tex booties, um, thermal booties. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, everything you would think you would need, like, for if you're going to go, like, here in Colorado, if you're going to go out for a ride and it's going to be, you know, it's February and you're going to go out and it's 30 degrees and you kind of have to play with the temperature range. Or if you're going to go ride, you know, a high pass in Colorado or whatever it might be and you're going to, there's going to be thunderstorms going to, you know, roll in and, temperature is going to drop 30 degrees or whatever it is. Um, there was more than once where I got stuck at 12,000 feet or higher and had to deal with lightning, hail, snow. I mean, it snowed out of the gate within 30 miles of starting where everybody was at 12,000 feet pushing over the first pass, snowing. Wow. And you can see that in the pictures from like the race recaps and everything. It's just every year, it seems, or the first year and this year, it's now snowed on the first pass. And a lot of people either... Some people push over and then other people just get to the bottom of it and they, they bivy and they're just like, screw this. We'll wait for it to pass. Yeah. It's crazy. Is it guaranteed to pass or is it going to, is it's it guaranteed to it... pass, but it's like, you just don't know if it's going to last three hours or if it's going to last three days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're close to like Tibet and Himalayas and yeah. So you're, it'd be North quite a ways, but it's okay. yeah, similar terrain. I mean, yeah. it's just, big big mountains like it's it's vast like glaciers everything just like stuck on these high peaks just absolutely mind-blowing 
Wow. So prepping for that, I mean, what, I mean, cause you raced, t- t- run me through this year. Like what, what's your race schedule been like? Uh, my race schedule this, this year. year has actually been quantity wise has been the least it's ever been, but quantity of mileage within those events has been the highest it's ever been. Um, so basically Arizona trade, Arizona trail race back in April. Um, and then, which was 350 miles and then DKXL, which was in June, which was 350 miles. And then the original plan after that was to do Colorado trail race, which was at the end of July. Um, but I was, got the invite to go do Silk Road. Um, so then that became the priority for, for what we got August, you know, into August and September. Yeah. So, and now it looks like for the most part, the season's done. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just mentally like Silk Road mentally and physically is like the hardest thing I've ever physically done on a bicycle. And it's going to take a while to like get back in that mindset of like wanting to like race, if you will. Sure. Um, So like all three of those events kind of, like you can train for one and be ready for almost all of them. So your, your, uh, time at DKXL, you were, what was your time? It was sub 24. I think it was like 23 hours and 40 minutes. Okay. So, but, and you felt like that was enough of a, I mean, cause at that point you're just kind of repeat, repeating yeah, the process, like, right? For the most part, with most of these like bikepacking events or even ultra endurance events, it's like, you can only race so hard for so long. And then it becomes like, who can deal with like when the shit hits the fan, basically it's like, how can you deal with being tired, but then mentally pushing through it or having a stomach issue. And what do you do then? Do you sleep it off? Do you push through it? Um, mm-hmm. And it's, I think every single bikepacking event I've done or ultra endurance event I've done, it's like 40% of that event, people are racing hard. And then after that, it becomes basically a race of luck, whether it's mechanicals or biomechanicals or, you know, mental mechanicals, whatever it might be. Yeah. So it's like for me personally, it's like I've learned in whatever the 10 years of doing this, it's like, I, I, like for me, it's like, I felt like Silk Road was a culmination. Like for me to succeed at Silk Road and finishing was a culmination of all the failures that I had in the past and like learning from that to get to essentially the pinnacle of finishing that event. Cause there is more than once at Silk Road where if I would have did that event five years ago, like I would have been done halfway through it just cause it was just like mentally exhausting. Like you're moving at two miles an hour and you have been for 12 hours and you don't think it's ever going to end. <laughs> yeah. So that transition for you from, from racing cross country to kind of feeling like, okay, this doesn't really suit my physiology right. as, as well as maybe some other people or, at least maybe for to you to get the results that right. you felt like you were capable of. So you kind of found ultra endurance and then, but that was, and then you, then you transitioned to bike packing. I mean that at the time equipment wise, bike packing was, was pretty yeah, I think when rudimentary. I, yeah. Right? I think when I started, there was like, I think Revelate designs was the only one of maybe one or two people that were actually making equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric at Revelate made all my bags for that, those first couple of bikepacking events that I had done. But now like bikepacking has become so mainstream that it's like you could open up a book and, or a catalog and 
there's 20 different brands to choose from. It's just like right. find the brand that fits your needs and makes the stuff that you want. When there's websites, yeah. right? Like you can go. Yeah, and, like there's websites where people can learn how to do it and equipment to take and where to go and right. it's endless knowledge now. Whereas before yeah. it was kind of, uh, everybody's kind of a vision quest to figure out how to do it right, how to do it light, how yeah. to do it fast, how to not do it fast, how to enjoy it, that kind of thing. So where are you with that? Like, how does, how does that sit with you for um, the fact that it is becoming more mainstream and, and more options available? I think it's good just from a standpoint of like, to just see cycling growing and mm-hmm. like with bike packing in general, it's like, it's just another way for people to get out there. It's another mm-hmm. way for people to see their backyard. Um, like any, like bike packing could be 10 miles from your house, sleep out in a tent, turn around and come 10 miles back or on the extreme side of it, it, it's Silk Road or it's Tour Divide or it's the Colorado Trail. It's, it's an endless, there's endless options regardless of, talent level, financial situation, location, everything. It's like anybody can do it anywhere yeah. with whatever, with the gear they have in their closet, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's really, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's been something that I've, and I guess DKXL really isn't even like what I would consider true bike packing. Cause right. you know, it's a, essentially one a one day gravel right. race. Right. But it's something that's opened my eyes lately just with kind of stepping back from kind of like my elite racing career and just getting into more things that I've just, uh, more driven to do or more right. just kind of drawn to right. do to just explore right. more by bike. Um, and just doing more hiking and, and, right. and like backpacking. Right. right. And then, uh, cause you know, we, we put off these things. I think we, for so many of us, we, um, we put things on the back burner, right. you know, f- for our number one sport. Right, you know? right. So, um, so to be able to kind of combine backpacking and cycling. And, side and, of it too. Yeah. Right. But as far as the brands available now and just be able to get right. um, options and, and um, like you said, kind of anyone can, can make this yeah. thing happen, you know, even with this like a pretty basic hardtail mountain bike. Right. So, but it does seem like there's, and, and maybe this is just kind of, um, outsider looking in a little bit is it seems like there's a little bit of mentality of, with some of the kind of the old guard of like, you know, this is, it's a bit sacred territory, right. you know, to like, if you, if you, you need to respect it and right. you need to kind of, you know, I mean, I, I noticed that with the DKXL and even yeah. more so with everything that was going on with the divide. Right of you know kind of keeping the spirit of the event right yeah there's like a a constitution or written bylaws of the way it's been done and i think every event kind of has its own guidelines its own rules that need to be followed and those rules are usually laid out pretty pretty clear but it's the beauty of it is is like the rules can be whatever you want them to be based on the event like every event will have its own set of rules and typically most of these events are self-supported have a self-supported ethos which is basically it's like you get from point a to point b under your own power utilizing the stuff that's on route that's available to you as well as all the other people mm-hmm. um so there's no unfair advantage to anyone right, or, exactly and like and what bike you ride and what equipment you take is totally up to you to 
to accomplish that goal. But everybody's in the same understanding that <clears throat> that you start at the same time at this one location. This is the finish line, and the only and you have to get from point A to point B, utilizing the resources that are given to you and everybody else in between those two locations for the most part. Um, and that's how it was at Silk Road. That's how it's been at every single bikepacking event we've done. So, so at Silk Road, you, you did, you finished in eight days. Yeah, it was like eight days and sixteen hours. Which, eight and a half, a little more than eight and a half. Yeah, I went into that event pretty much with two goals, and that was to finish and to to focus on self care because I knew that if I got really into the racing component of it like the self-care would get thrown out the window which then would lead to a whole host of problems um and there were people that went out you know with a full racing mentality and it unfortunately they paid for it in various different ways whether it was you basically blow up or you run into you know stomach issues or mentally you just break down and don't want to do it anymore right um but yeah i went like it did take me eight days. It's like, I feel like I could maybe go a day faster. I slept way more than I wanted to, but the only reason I slept was because my body was telling me to needing it. Yeah. Like it gets to the point where it's, I was planning on sleeping three to four hours a day, but it ended up transitioning into more like five to seven hours all at one time. Or did yeah, you yeah, stop for the it? Most part, mm -hmm. all at one time? Like I would ride from about midnight or I would go to sleep at around midnight and try to wake up around four-ish, maybe sometimes five, whatever, mm -hmm. um, and then get back on and just push through. Um, the crazy thing about Silk Road, which I haven't experienced in other events, was that if you knew you had 40 miles out in front of you, like usually you can be like, oh, it's going to take me maybe three hours to go to do that. Like at Silk Road, there was times where it would take 18 hours to go 40 miles. What? Because you're walking up a pass at the scree field right or there was one section that was a valley that was like double track um it was 30 miles long but it's like physically my body was just shut down and it took me 10 hours to go through that and it's like i can go back onto like strava and look at other people's race files and where it took me 10 hours like it was taking the leaders and other people in front of me and behind me three hours to go that distance wow it's just crazy Cause just, I'm like, I'm just walking. Yeah. Cause it's like, I physically couldn't pedal the bike anymore. Right. And then I would stop and sleep, get back up, keep going again. Yeah. Just crazy. Just mind blowing. And I think that for, for what I realized at DK was, you know, again, cause that was my kind of real first, um, jumping into anything that was really more than 18 hours. Like right. I've done 18 hour solo mountain bike race before, but nothing longer than that. So, and I'd done 24 hour races, but on a team, right? right? So you get that little break yeah. in there. But, um, you know, the thing that I figured out was that there's, there's really no way to simulate, right. you know, like you can, you can simulate, you can do intervals and right. you can, you can train a certain way and you can, you can ride with, you know, a loaded rig and, um, and kind of simulate certain elements of an event right. like that, but you're, you can't simulate what you're going to experience. The mental aspect of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these events, 50% of it's fitness. The other 50% is in your head. Well, and maybe even more than that. Right. True. Right. Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, I've dropped out of bikepacking events because, or had 
extremely lengthy stops and bikepacking events or longer events just because mentally it's like you break down or I break down, I should say. Yeah. Um, you just kind of got to get through it. However, you know, and usually the, the way to do that is either food or sleep. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, that's what I figured out, yeah. but it was like, it's trial and error for right. me. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's people were, cause I mean, you, you came into the, um, the gas station, gas station right. when I was in a pretty interesting spot, you know, <laughs> I mean, I was right. not processing things really, uh, at all, um, digestively or mentally. mentally yeah. And, you know, you were just on a different level. Like you were just like bouncing around, just, you know, like th threw away all the stuff you didn't want in your right. bag and grabbed what you did and took off. It's like everybody's been there though. Yeah. Every single person from the person that wins to the person that gets dead last. It's like everybody at some point has dealt with it either in that event or they've dealt with it in a prior event. And it's yeah. just like the endurance side of things or the bikepacking racing side of things. It's like, it's, it's almost like a layer cake. It's all built upon it past experiences to hopefully then spring you springboard you through the next one to you know, like, Oh, I dealt with this, you know, three months ago at a different event. This is how I get through it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I just had, yeah. didn't have that right. experience. You know, right. I didn't have anything to draw on. And people were saying like, like some, uh, this dude, Matt came in and was like, I just took an eight minute nap, like right. go lay down. Yeah, yeah. And I was like eight minutes. Yeah. That's not going to do anything, yeah. you know, but, but it does. <laughs> it, it does. Yeah. And I mean, I, I did take a nap and, and came around and was surprised because right. at the time I was ready to, I, I was like, this is, there's no coming back from this. Right. But yeah, you take a nap, you get some food down and then the sun comes up and you keep rolling. There was people at Silk Road that literally would sleep for like 10 minutes, just standing up like with their, on their bike, with their heads on their handlebars, just like these quick cat nap things. Or like a horse nap. Yeah. It's just like unreal. Like, I don't even know how you can do it. Don't horses sleep standing up? I think so. I don't yeah. know. They got four legs to balance yeah, on. Yeah, I know. It's so. just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And that's restorative, I guess. I mean, that's, it it's more than anything enough to let well, your mind. Yeah. Just the mind re reset. regenerate and the body yeah. regenerates for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So based on that, I mean, you're, you're pulling on how many years of experience? You said about 10 years of, of doing these type of, you know, yeah, probably 10 ultra years endurance, of, 10 years of bikepacking. But it's like, I've been doing like the 12 hour, 24 hour to where I am now since probably like 97. Okay. So what, what's that? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yeah. So it's learned a lot, let's just say. Right. Well, and I remember whenever you went from kind of being, you know, cross-country racer right. guy, and then I actually remember seeing when the Ergon team came online. It was like, right. hey, we're starting this team. You know, if you're interested, you know, in um, submit your resume. Right. And... um and then when you guys started doing your thing, it was, you were getting into these, right. you know, kind of obscure, bigger, bigger races, bigger meaning like right. multiple days or right. like Length. longer distance yeah, yeah. and um, ultra endurance stuff. Yeah, it was definitely from a, it was marketable from a, from the brand components that were involved with the team, especially like with Ergon and Topeak. And even with Canyon at the time and even Canyon now, cause they're starting to push into the, into the adventure side of things um, where there was a story to it. Like the story was what became marketable versus the, the race result. And it's even cycling in general, it's,
kind of in at least racing in general as somebody who works in the industry it's like it's we're seeing it more marketable to be able to share like, like our dirty cons experience um to share that experience of how it was good and how it was bad versus being like oh you got 10th place oh i got third place or whatever it might have been um most people want to know or they want to feel like they can feel what you felt or what that experience was yeah um, which is pretty cool which hopefully then which then translates to like motivating people to then get out and try it whether it's on a smaller scale or or, or even on the bigger scale of actually signing up for like one of those events the next year yeah so well, I was talking with a buddy of mine today actually this morning and he was um, I was telling him we, we did this film at DK like right. we were filming for uh, this this piece we're putting together and I, it's ready like we're about to start right. screening it and um and so I was talking to a buddy of mine and he was saying, oh yeah, I forgot. Like you, you completely come undone in that race, right? But that's what makes it exciting. That's what he said. He's I like, know. I would much rather right. see that. Like we've all seen these success stories right. where people go out and they prepare and they crush it and they win and move on to the next right. thing. And um, he's like, yeah, I want, I'm, I want to see that. Right. You know, like he's excited to watch <laughs> the wheels come off, you know, but, um, and I think that you're right. Like that, we, it, for so long, um, the sport seemed to be driven by podium finishes, right. you know, cover shots on magazines. Right. And now it's much more of the story, like right. the authentic story behind the, the scene, you right. know? And I think that's what we're seeing with, uh, I mean, it, it's not really any more evident than in the DK, the 200, right. you know, with teams like, uh, EF education first right. getting involved, you know, and, and they're a world tour team right. and they're finding the value for their sponsors right. in doing this event, you know, that's in the middle of, of Kansas yeah. and, um, there's no payout. There's right. no, um, I mean, right. in this case, it really wasn't even a podium, but that's just it. Cause like Lachlan raced DK and then it's like, he then went on to do this massive bike packing event in the UK and then just last week or two weeks ago, he did the Caro Trail. Right. So it's like there's, like for those riders, like personally, like it gives them something to like reset their cycling, what they're driven by. It gives them something to reset uh, their passion. But then it also gives, obviously, sponsors something. Yeah. Something different to help promote bikes and lifestyle and everything else. Well, and I think it's it resonates more. It's more attainable right, right. by you know, you're more casual rider. Right. Yeah. Right? Anybody like, can go do those events. Yeah. Like you're Any not going to go do the tour de France or no. something, but you can go do dirty Kansas, yeah. you know? And I know there was a lot of pushback this year with at DK about whether or not world tour teams should be allowed to be there and it's, that kind of thing. Everybody's got to deal with the same shit. Everybody's well, got to deal with flat tires. Everybody's got to deal with the heat. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got to deal with their stomach. Everybody's yeah. And you saw it, like yeah. you saw that those, yeah. those guys were not necessarily had some unfair yeah. advantage because they're on a world tour team and right. they've done these mega races. It's like, you can always yeah. pinpoint people or put an X on somebody's back that you think will win or it's going to be at the front of the race, but you never know sure. truly what's going to happen. There's yeah. so much drama. Yeah. So much drama. Well, yeah. And I think people want that front row seat, right. You know, to be able to see it all unfold, yeah. but it's that way with, like the Boston marathon, yeah. you know, I mean, there's 1% of the people that show up for a Boston marathon are actually racing it to win. Right. 
or less, right. less than 1%, you know, and the fastest people, the fastest runners in the world show up, but then there's also people that are just doing it for whatever their just reasoning is, ahead. you know? So I think it's the similar yeah, like it's, mentality. Like with the, the media that comes out of Silk Road, it's like, obviously it's a bike race, but like the media that comes out of the event is almost like a storybook. Even like all the videos they shoot and have presented online so far, it's all, they're, t they're, sh they're showcasing the culture and then the bike race is like a small component right. in the corner. And even same with like, the the photography and the storytelling and everything it's like yes they're telling you like play by play kind of what's going on with who's in first who's in second et cetera, et cetera. but in the end they're basically showcasing people riding their bikes in a super awesome location and these are the people that live here full-time and these are the yurts they live in and these are the animals they herd this is what they eat this is what they drink yeah yeah some of the some of the most interesting pictures that i saw were like yeah. of the spread at these yurts yeah. this amazing food, food. that I'm sure, you know, it looks like a pot of gold for you guys it's like in there. You walk into the yurt and they're like for 300 some or 350 some and some is basically their currency, which is 350 some is like, is the equivalent to five bucks. Yeah. And it's basically an endless supply of soup and bread and jam and honey and wow, et cetera, et cetera. You know, fried eggs, whatever it might be. Yeah. And people just eat and eat and eat. And it's like, it's absolutely just mind blowing that they don't run out of food. Cause last year they ran out of food like they, and they even had it in the race manual where they would say, you know, there's, there's stores in this town, this town, this town, this town. But if you're in the back 50% of the field, chances are when you get to that town, that store is not going to have food left because the locals and the racers in front of you will clean it out. Wow. And like this year it wasn't an issue. It's like everything was well stocked and ready to go. Well, that was one of the thoughts I had about the DKXL is, you know, it grew the last year was the first year that they offered it. And right. then this year they, they went from 34 riders to 80, you know, like what's the real capacity of that event whenever you take that into consideration, right. you know? Yeah. Maybe if you're in the first, you know, could you, could that, could those stores support 200 riders? You It'd know? be tough possibly. I mean, it all depends on the, I think if they're coming in, pretty spread out. I think it'd be all right. But yeah. like if, you know, if you're getting like groups of 30 coming in at one time, how much gas station pizza can you have on stock on hand? You know, exactly. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's gold right there. Is that stuff? Jimmy Dean sausage yeah. sandwiches. It's like, I so look forward to pizza and the breakfast sandwiches. Like the, yeah. Like at Silk Road, I, the thing that I became fond of was, like how in the, in America you can go into a gas station you can buy like cold sandwiches like prepackaged yeah. like they had like an equivalent of that in Kyrgyzstan in these stores which was like a white hoagie with like pieces of salami and cucumber and like mayo yeah and they were like seven inches long you know you could fit like four in your pocket eat one right you know? so they'd take it along perfect yeah <laughs> it's crazy. Do you find that that changes for you? Like, like for, for me, um, after doing DK, like I'm not much of like junk food guy, right? right? Like I don't drink Cokes and I don't, yeah, unless it's like during an event yeah. like that and we're like, okay, yeah, I'm seven hours into this. Right. Yeah. I'll take a Coke. Um, 
or not like a candy bar guy or anything like that. So don't do Silk Road then. Yeah. If you're not a candy bar guy, don't do Silk Road. Well, I mean, during events, I I will, you know, (laughs) I'll have like a a Snickers or a Mars bar or something, you know, but, um, but ever since I did DK, I feel like I crave these, um, sugar, the tea, like, uh, Nick Legan turned me onto these, um, Oh, like, uh, Arnold Palmer, like yeah, in a yeah, can, yeah, the big yeah. Arizona yeah, yeah. tall cans because right. they fit perfectly yeah. in a water bottle. Right. They're kind of light on the stomach. There's a little bit of caffeine. There's tons of sugar. Yeah. And now like the other day I was here, I was like, man, I kind of want a tea. I'm going to go down the, gro- the gas yeah. station, get a, <laughs> an Arizona tea. Yeah, Do you of- find that, that, that you have those cravings for that kind of thing off the bike yeah. or is it always just when you're, you're in that, that hurt like locker? The- like in the middle of those races, it's like, it's definitely like fueled by pizza and candy bars and peachos and, you know, Sprite and Coke. And yeah. it's just calories at that yeah, point. Yeah. It's calories and whatever just tastes good. It, especially like when you're doing an, like an event for eight days, it's like your palate is so up and down of like, this tastes good. This doesn't taste good. Um, but like normal, like on a normal day-to-day schedule, it's like, I really don't crave, like I don't drink soda. Yeah. Like I don't. I eat pizza, but I don't eat it every day. Yeah. Um, half that stuff I never buy when I go into a gas station outside of the fact if I'm in the middle of a 300 mile bike race or an eight day bike race or whatever it is. Right. It basically comes down to size and calories per size. And how much of this can I fit on my bike or fit in my pocket or in your mouth, in my mouth? Yeah. Is it warm? Is it not warm? Salty is this or gonna, sweet? Yeah. Is this going to taste good if I put it in my pocket for three days? Can I eat it in three days? Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. But pizza is definitely a go-to. <laughs> like, there's been numerous bikepacking events where I I have bought pizza the night before the race starts, and then we'll wrap the pizza in foil and take it along. Sure. Knowing that we might not be able to get it on the course. Yeah. Pizza's non-existent in Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, it doesn't seem like ethnic no, food for for that area. It's it's bread, it's soups, yeah, jams, peanut butter, Nutella, chocolate. Nutella. Yeah, yeah, Nutella's everywhere. Huh. It's interesting because like last year having that event being a first year event, a lot of people didn't know what the food situation was going to be. So a lot of people left the start line with like five days worth of food. Sure. Um, but then they quickly found out that food was a little more prevalent along the way. Yeah. I mean, I, the I did that food for, was prevalent just for the three fifty. Yeah. I, I brought way too much food cause right. I wasn't sure. Yeah. And you know, in hindsight I could have just like, walked into any convenience store, right. like, this is what they're going to have, Yeah, you know? I mean, especially, like, in racing in the States, most convenience stores, you pretty much know what you're getting when you walk in. Yeah. I mean, chips and Pringles and candy bars and whatever right. it might be. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like you've – because I've, I've watched – followed along, you know, right. with your racing and, and over the years and, and we've been friends and, um, you know, you used to live up in Fort Collins and now you're out here in, um, in Eagle. And so, you know, similar circles travel in, in, in similar circles. And do you feel like your results are, I mean, you're, cause you're 41, right? Yep. So you feel like your results are getting better as you get older? The, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on the, on the event. Um, cause you had a great race at DKXL, right? You had, you finished fourth at the Silk Road. What, right. what, how did you finish at DKXL? Fifth? Fifth. And it was fifth at Silk Road as well. Fifth at Silk yeah. Road. And then, 
Like, like I'm not like overly results driven. Like obviously sure. it's like I want to be at the pointy end of any event or especially those events. Um, well, so even think of this, like what about just the fact that it's like, I've had more success doing longer events than I have shorter events. Yeah. I was going to say like, like success. If I did any cross country race from when I started, mm-hmm. even till today, it's like, if there was a hundred people in that race, it's like I would finish 50th yeah. or 40th, but I would get done and be like, is that it? Yeah. Like I would go as physically as hard as I could, but like my bot, like my body was pushing as hard as it could, but like physically and mentally, it's like I get done, but I wouldn't be done. Like, I feel like I could go out and keep doing it. Right. Um, so it's like, I feel like with results wise, if I keep doing what I'm doing, it's like the, the results are still going to be there. Yeah. And it's like, there's going to be room to do better. There's always going to be those cases where it gets worse. But on the flip side of it, it's it's also getting way more competitive. Right. Whereas, you know, you could line up for any event and you might have four guys that you know are going to be the top four guys mm-hmm. or four gals and you know they're going to be the top four gals. But now it's like you've got ladies that are finishing second or ladies that are winning events like Transcontinental. Right. And then you've got a depth of the men's field that might have 20 different guys that could win an event. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, there's, there's, that's kind of one of the exciting things for me because there's such an unknown as far as result wise, like what's going to happen personally. Also what's going to happen with the the people that you think will do really well. Well, and it seems like the, it all goes back to what you're saying earlier about how do you, uh, measure success? Like how do you base the race, um, the Silk Road, you know, what's the goal going in, right? Right. Like your goal was to finish. And so, you know, and then, um, you know, but even looking at that, like, uh, you know, this year you've completed, right. How many races have you had to, have you had to pull out of? Cause you did the, well, you started with a fat tire, a fat bike race, right. In Yellowstone. Was that this year? Was that that two years, a couple of years ago, but no, yes. Last year. Yeah, this year the only fat bike race I did was uh, the Bear up in Steamboat, which was like a 40-miler. Oh, okay. So the Yellowstone uh, race that you did, the 200K. Yeah, so there's... Was I've been last up there to, year. Yeah, it's 200, mi- yeah, 200 miles last year, 200K the year before, and 60 miles the year before. Because that race is actually has three different distances. Yeah. Um, and I've completed all three different distances with the 200-mile being the, the last one. Yeah, and do you get like a special award for doing all three? I don't think so. <laughs> it's like, a, it's funny. Cause it's like, there's, it's all self gratification. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you basically just pat yourself on the back and be like, I did that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with like Silk Road. It's like everybody got done and they could care less what place they got. They're just yeah. like, Holy crap. I got to the finish of this considering that there was 150 people or whatever that started and only 70 of them actually make it to the finish line. Yeah. The attrition rate is just in most of these events is 50%. Right. If not more. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. Right. So. Well, and I think that that's maybe, um, a draw for a lot of people right. to, uh, to not have it hanging on a place right. or a time, you know, I mean, people put so much emphasis and, and energy into like, like Leadville, for example, like right. getting that big buckle, you know? So when you're under nine hours, right? right? So it's a time thing. And I understand that that's a, that's a big achievement for a lot of people, but, um, 
and for a long time for me, I was really driven that way right. to be results driven, you know, like, Oh, I want to see how I can do against everybody else. But right. now getting into these events, yeah, it is more just like you for you, you right. know, doing this because the I result wanna... comes with it. Right. Like if you have, if you put together a successful race, it's, or a successful ride, it's like the, the, the end result comes. Yeah. So it's like, for me, it's, I used to be very focused on time goals with bike packing events and almost every single one of those events I did where I went in with time goals ended in failure. Right. Because it, whether it be mentally or physically, because you go too hard trying to get, you know, to that next point by a certain time. But yeah, it's like, I've now learned to just like throw all that out the window and just do my own thing and let it come as it does. So, so have you done, you've done Colorado trail race, but have you I have done Colorado trail trail race five times, but it's actually, it's like my unicorn. It's my, it's the one I haven't finished. I was going to say, I don't yeah. remember if you've ever actually, no. you've had to pull out for whatever reason. I've times. had, I've gone, I've had everything from trench foot to the worst case of diaper rash to mechanical issues that are unfixable to being overtrained going in. I think that covers it. Yeah. I mean, so. do you feel like that's, are you going to tow the line again? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would have towed the line this year if Silk Road wouldn't have presented itself. Um, but it's, Colorado Torres is by far, I mean, I was, Silk Road's by far the hardest thing I've ever done. Colorado Trail is the second hardest thing I've ever done just because it's like the mental aspect of it, aspect of it is super draining. And then like the mental or the uh, physical component of it is beyond harsh. It's hard on your feet. It's hard on your butt. It's hard on your brain. It's hard on your hands. It's hard on your bike. It's everything out there is trying to stop you from what you're doing. It's a hiking trail. It's not a bike trail. So right. when you're trying to haul a bike through it, that weighs 30 pounds or more makes it hard. And you're going super light for that one. Typically. Like typically. Yeah. It's like, I usually don't like, I don't take a sleeping bag or anything like that. Like mostly, most of the time it's when I get tired, I'll just lay on the ground and sleep for an hour. Yeah. And then basically the whole idea is to not get super comfortable. Yeah. So it's take an emergency bivy. That's about the size of a soda can, which is enough to keep you maybe 10 degrees warmer than, than you are without it. Just and, being outside. Yeah. And then sleep for an hour. And if you're really tired, then you basically just sleep and don't wake up for a while and then get back on and go. And I heard that people sleep across the trail. People have done that in the past. I try not to do that just because it's, it's just not my thing. Yeah. But like the super competitive people that are really keen on knowing if somebody's coming, will sleep in the middle of the trail, yeah. like on an uphill section that might be a hike, a bike or something like that. So it's like they have to step over and know when they're coming by. Yeah. But it's just like, I'm so far past that. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like if I need to sleep and somebody's coming, it's just like, I'm going to keep sleeping because it's like my body needs it in the long run. Like for me in the long run, it's like resting equates to being faster. It's like I can race and ride sleep deprived, but I don't think it's faster in the long run. Sure. It's like, I'm not going to slog and like feel like a turd cruising down the road or the trail when it's like you can sleep for two hours and feel refreshed and be going twice as fast and cover the same, you know, the same amount of distance in half the time. Yeah. It's like point of diminishing returns yeah. at some point. Right. But there's certain people that function that way. It's like the, um, James from the UK who was also at the Silk Road, um, 
on behalf of Canyon, you know, it's like we had different racing strategies. It's like, for me, it was like, I would ride until I get tired and sleep and sleep well and then get up and keep moving. Mm -hmm. He was very, his whole focus was to ride, feel like crap, keep riding, feel like crap. Okay. I guess I'll sleep now, but I'm not going to sleep for very long. Yeah. And then get back up and kind of still feel like crap and keep moving. Like, cause he can like mentally he can function that way and he feels it's fast and it's, I'm not like everybody's got their way of doing things and I'm definitely not one to judge that component of how he races his bike because he's won transcontinental twice. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it works. It works for him. So right. everybody's got their way. Sure. You just got to find out what works for you. Yeah. So what, what's next? Do you have, do you have something picked out? I mean, other I have, than... like right now it's like from in the endurance side of things, I really don't have anything planned like this year is pretty it's much probably not the time to be making yeah it's like drastic decisions. in the middle of silk road like i was pretty much like i'm done racing my bike like i'm done doing this i'm never doing this again yeah this forever. is like the worst thing that you i can possibly ever do yeah but then you get done and like your feet hurt like hell and your legs are swollen and then you wait like a week and then two weeks pass and you're like hmm, should i go back and do silk road again <laughs> you know <laughs> right. it's just like it's so funny how it changes because it's like in the middle of it. It's just like somebody come get me. This is yeah. the worst thing I could possibly ever be doing. It's like, and everybody goes through it. And yeah. then it's just, how do you deal with it? It's pretty funny. How do you deal with it? Self-positive talk, sleep. Yeah. Sleep's a big component of it. Like if I don't feel good, it's just sleep. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Even now, like being back home. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, now. Like I'm motivated now to ride my bike. Like I rode here for this interview. It's like, I've been out riding for the last couple of days, but it's, I was off my bike for two weeks, two, three weeks. Yeah. Like I finished and bike went right back in the, right back in the travel case and it's still sitting there. Right. So just had no desire to pedal it sure. or push it. Yeah. <laughs> and plus my feet were really jacked up. Were they? And they still are kind of jacked up. So yeah. From being wet. No, from just all the constant, like my shoe choice wasn't, wasn't perfect. Like there's a lot more hike a bike on, in Silk Road than I anticipated. And there's a lot more long distance hike a bike. Like there were five hour hike a bikes were out of the question to the point where you were like, you would push your bike in front of you, put the brakes on and have to take two steps forward and push the bike up, put the wow. brakes on because it's just so steep. Yeah. Um, and you're basically doing this over like scree field and like carbon sold, you know, bike packing shoes for the most part. Right. Um, Those shoes are done, I assume. No, yeah, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> <laughs> they actually did pretty well. Um, but I would like, I would, these shoes wouldn't go next time. I would take the shoes that I use for CTR, which are basically like a tennis shoe with a SPD cleat in the bottom of yeah. them. Yeah. It's like, it's. They're made for walking. Yeah. You need something that you can walk in for sure. a long, long time. Yeah. While pushing a 50 pound bike. It's like going over a 14 or for sure. just hiking 14 yeah, yeah. after 14 or like there's like, I don't even know what you can compare it to here in Colorado. Like if somebody in Colorado came to me and said, I want to do Silk Road. How should I train? I'd be like, go down to the San Juans and ride, you know, Black Bear Pass, Imogene Pass, like the Alpine Loop, you know, like all those big mountain Jeep roads. It's the closest thing we have to it here. Yeah. It's the closest thing. So I saw some photos. You were putting your arm warmers 
on your legs. Yeah. What was that all about? So the last two days, basically from my kneecaps through my toes, like everything just ballooned up. Um, I don't know if it was from like altitude and like water retention or if it was because of after riding eight days, it's like my heart rate could really never get above like 120. So it's like it couldn't circulate blood and stuff through the system. Um, but a bit, like every time I would pedal, like it felt like I had water balloons attached to the side of my legs and, and wow. it hurt. And it even got to the point where it's like they had, ex- my legs had swollen so bad that like below my calf, basically between my heel and the bottom of my calf muscle, the skin was actually starting to crack apart because the, the, the skin couldn't stretch anymore. Yeah. So it's like, I needed to figure out a way to basically get through the next two days and not deal with not being able to pretty much pedal a bike. And the only thing I had to basically compress um, my legs was my arm warmers. So I basically just had to like squeeze those up and over and it worked. Yeah, it did. It did work. It helped to, it alleviated the pain, but it didn't stop the swelling. You had to have to get help putting them on. Yeah. Well, not I don't get know. them off. That's what it looked like in the yeah, front. Yeah, I oh, someone's helping you. Yeah, them so off. that was at the finish. Okay. Um, they were taking them off. Yeah. Um, but then, like, you know, the the half a week or a week after the event, it's like it's so painful. Like it was hard to walk. Toes hurt. Yeah, it's got all kinds of soft tissue yeah. damage, huh? And that's but, like compartment syndrome. Like run the risk of compartment syndrome. I would think, think so, yeah. right? It's basically yeah. I mean, it's, it's like an it's basically just swelling edema. Edema. But it's every single person that did Silk Road or does most of these events, when they when it's all said and done, it's like everybody's dealing with nerve and just pain issues, usually yeah. in their hands and feet. Everybody's in the same boat. Yeah, like my hands are 100% fine, but like right now, as I sit here and talk to you, it's like I have like both of my big toes are numb. Yeah, like no, t- like tingling or yeah, like yeah. numbness. Like it's just yeah. like I, I put my socks on, it feels like my big toe's missing. Yeah. It's super crazy. Right. And it's... It'll come back. It always does. Yeah. Load up on B12 and the system regenerates and good to go again. Yeah. So do you use, do you use <laughs> supplements right during the race? Uh, so or, probiotics. You do. Yeah. yeah. Probiotics are the biggest thing. And then an electrolyte add in, um, on the days when it's really, really hot. Otherwise most of the Everything else I just get from food. But what about pro- just in your like normal day-to-day training? Are you uh, probi- anything? Probiotic and magnesium are pretty much the only things. Yeah. Yeah. We try to, like, Karen and I eat pretty healthy, pretty mm-hmm. clean. A lot of vegetables, a lot of... Gas clean. station pizza. Gas station pizza. <laughs> I'm the, like, the food junkie of us, too. So it's, yeah. like, I will eat the hamburgers and the french fries and all that stuff. It's like... Yeah. It's not going to do anything bad to you. <laughs> As long as it's not 90% of your diet. Right, exactly. And it's not 90% of my diet. Like 90% of my diet is tofu and tempeh and vegetables and rice and eggs and nuts and spinach. Sure. It's the stuff you you would imagine athletes eat. Right. But then when we're actually being athletes, we don't eat that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a bit of an unhealthy balance with um, our relationship. That's half the reason I do these events. Because it like allows me to eat M and M's. Basically, how I ate when I was like in middle school. Yeah, All I did a race food. this weekend, and um, I was helping out with this U twenty three program, and I did a race, 
in the morning and I went back to pick up the riders okay. and I had stopped and I got a bag of M&Ms and uh, as I was putting fuel in the vehicle. And then I just threw the wrapper in the trash and some one of the riders was like, right. who's eating M&Ms? Like they were asking right. the other riders and I was just like, those are mine. <laughs> you know, like I just did, I just raced yeah. my ass off Quantity. for 45, yeah. 45 minutes. Like definitely burned through a bag of M&Ms. It's probably not the best choice, but not going to kill you. Yeah. Right. Not unless you eat it every single day, all day. Right. Until you're and eating. I race single speed, so. Yeah. You know, there's like a, I didn't have any beer after the race. Right. You know, so there's like a. I had beer after Silk Road. Yeah. And I don't even drink beer. It's at Ker- all, ever. Kyrgyzstan beer good? I guess. I don't know what good beer is. Yeah. Because I don't drink beer. But it's just like, I was so over just drinking water. Like my water bottle, by the time I got done, had this like. Only thing I was putting in it was water, but it had this like unique water in water bottle taste that was mm. just like over. And then I was done drinking soda, whether it was Sprite or Coke. And then the next option is either beer or vodka. Yeah. Beer is a safer bet. Really? Well, I mean, for me personally, oh. beer is a safer bet. Okay. Because like vodka, it's funny because like vodka is actually cheaper than bottled water in Kyrgyzstan. It's everywhere. Wow. It's a right, you know, most yeah. part of Russia at one point. Sure. So it's the logical beverage. Huh. And for you, vodka leads to techno dancing. It could, <laughs> but it, it's really funny is we had our evening of vodka drinking. Um, and it's not like drinking vodka here. Like we had like a table, of like 10 of us and we probably went through like seven liters of vodka and like Whoa. everybody was fully functioning normal the next morning. Or like if we would have drank that in the States, it's like no one would have been out of bed the next day. Right. So it's either A, the metabol- our metabolism is so messed up that right. it just processed everything, or oh. the vodka there is a lot cleaner, a little bit more distilled to a, to yeah. a finer beverage <laughs> versus the more gasoline-like beverage that it probably is here in the States. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, vodka was everywhere. Yeah. Vodka was offered on course more than once by local people. It's just, it's the beverage. It's what they do. I'm sure people partook, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like bacon hand up. Yeah. Milk was a hand up. They, uh, vodka. Cow's milk? Bread. Or what are they, what are they, uh, do they have yaks goat, there? Or what is it? Goats. I'm assuming it's cat, cattle. Mm-hmm. Might be goat as well. Didn't try. Yeah. It's one of those things I'm not going to go for. Warm milk. Warm be. milk. Well, it's just funny because it's like they're, you're out there on your bike and they're out there on their horses and like you have your water bottles and your bike in your bike frame and they've got like their water bottles hanging from ropes off the side of their um their set you know the saddle of the horse um and it's just filled with like basically raw milk straight from wherever they got it from i think lael said something about horse milk could be horse milk too because there's wild and domesticated horses there's more wild than domesticated really just roaming what do you use for a filter? What do you use filtering the water? What do you I use? I use a Sawyer, Sawyer squeeze. Um, so it's basically, you fill like a, it's like a hydration bladder that you fill with water. And then on the bottom of the hydration bladder, you attach this squeeze, this water oh. filter. Oh, yeah. That's um, probably like three inches long. And then you just like, you squeeze the bag and it forces the water through the filter. Sure. Um, and basically one bag, I think the bag I had was like 70 ounces, which allowed me to f- fill the three water bottles that I had. So you're filling that bladder and then squeezing yeah. it into a bottle. Into a water bottle. Yeah. And then when I'm done 
roll everything up and put it back in a bag. How long does it take to fill a one bottle? Mm, like I could do probably all three in five minutes. Okay. Yeah, it's not very long. Yeah. The other, the only other option would be to not filter or use tablets. But the downfall of tablets is tablets take three hours. So once you'd fill it until the tablet's in, you couldn't do anything with it for three hours. Yeah. Like have you ever I, used one of those um, UV sticks? I have, but I don't. I don't trust it. Yeah. yeah. I've never used one, but I've, we were looking at some filter yeah. options. Recently. Knock on wood, it's like I've never gotten sick from filtering water out of a squeeze filter or pump filter. Right. Or have I gotten sick from tablets? Yeah. The iodine tabs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that has a flavor to it, a yeah, bit of yeah, a flavor, sure. where the filtered water maybe tastes a little better. Yeah, filtered water tastes like whatever you're basically pulling it out of, mm-hmm. which in the case of, like, the Colorado Trail or, you know, doing any bikepacking race in, like, the Mountain West or even, like, with the Silk Road in Kyrgyzstan, it's that water is super, super clean. Like, chances are you could probably not filter it. Um, so it's just basically, like, glacial runoff, snow melt, whatever right. it might be. Right, Super clear. Yeah. Yeah. So with Ergon, right? So you have you're more than just a athlete with them, right? Yeah, you, my day job is Ergon in yeah. the United States, yeah. marketing, customer service. Okay. And van driver, events yeah. guy, yeah. you name it. So what are you heading to next with them? What do we have next? The Vale Outlier, okay. which is in the, uh, the end of September, and then we're doing um, Unpaved out in Pennsylvania. Right. Which that might be my next bike race as well. Um, How long is that? 100 miles. Yeah. Gravel race. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, myself and Karen go to Sedona for Rome Fest, which is an all female or a female only mountain bike festival. So I think that's it. You guys aren't going to Arkansas? We're not going to Arkansas. Yeah. yeah from an expo standpoint um, and our brand, like we do better mostly with non race events. Because with race events, people tend to be very race-focused. Yeah. Not too much expo time. So try to have a demo events or the only sheer goal or the only sheer focus of the people that are in attendance is to take part in whatever's in front of them. Yeah, try products and engage. And so that looks like what? Like grips, saddles? Grips, saddles. That's pretty much it for the the U.S. market. Okay. Ergon has a lot of contact points, so but and products that go along with that. But in the U.S. market, we're strictly focused on saddle and grips. Mm-hmm. So and people can try those at a demo. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, oh. so you have you can throw grips on. Throw grips have, on. Or do you have bikes thing. there for them to try? How does that work? Yeah, usually people show up with their own bikes, or if if there's a, de- a demo component like with the Vale Outlier, it's like they just bring over the demo bike that they're going to go out and try. Yeah. Um, but with Ergon right now, it's like our whole focus is the saddle market. Our grip line is pretty well established, and there isn't too many changes coming forth in 2020 and, and into the future. But um, Ergon's internal goal is to be, like, one of the top saddle manufacturers by the year 2022. Yeah. And we're getting there. Yeah, it looks like some yeah. cool stuff that they're doing with and there's even, saddle yeah. design and place. Or, uh, New shape. stuff was just announced at Eurobike. Sure. So, and all that stuff will become available in February. Cool. So, and so you're in charge of marketing, U.S. marketing. No, I wouldn't say 100% in charge of U.S. marketing. It's just like 
for me, it's like my, most of my day-to-day is just consumer contact through email and then consumer contact through events. Um, the marketing component that I have a hand with is working with a lot of like U.S. athletes, okay. whether it's bike racers or whether it's uh, ambassadors or yeah. events like, like the Vita Mountain Bike Clinics or whatever we might, just something that basically being in contact and helping out those people that ultimately can spread the word yeah. on product. Sure. Yeah, and are they leaning on you for R and D? Sometimes yes, but for the most part, most part no. Like all that stuff is done in Germany, under one roof. Yeah. So they utilize athletes there for that. They'll pin, they'll contact and reach out to us every once in a while regarding products we think they should make. But then ultimately, after that, it's out of our hands. Like here in the U.S., it's pretty much out of our hands. It's all Germany. Yep. Yeah. What about with, because Tool Peaks up their game big time with their saddlebags or uh, yeah, yeah. bike packing bags and everything. Is that something that you've had any influence? The as well? the bike packing, like I've been bugging them for before they f- actually launched their bike packing equipment. I probably bugged them for five or six years to be like, you guys make bags. This is a logical progression. When do you make bike packing bags? And then it it never happened. It never happened, and then it did happen. And they've actually been one of a few brands that actually were like, here's the prototypes, go out and ride this. And with all prototypes, it's like they had failures, but mm-hmm. then it was all fixed. And now they've come to market with, with everything. Yeah, it so, seems like they're checking all the boxes yeah. with what they offer. And they have more stuff coming out in 2020. Yeah, of course. So, As far as um, bags that you took with you for like these multiple days, right? you know, like like more along the lines of like the Silk Road and, and um, Colorado Trail Race, those type of events, not so much. Because you're probably different bike, different bag set up for like gravel and DKXL. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of bags do you take with you? For, like, um, what's your setup? So for Silk Road and that being anywhere from a you know, 7 to 14 day event, it's like I had a handlebar bag, which was all of my sleeping equipment. I had a sleep a bag off my seat, rear seat bag that had basically all my extra clothing. Um, top tube bag on the stem, which was all food. A top tube bag um, on the rear of the top tube, uh, back by the seat, which was my water filter okay. and water tablets. Um, and then Revelate, Toby doesn't make this product yet. They will in 2020, but on the side of the handlebar and stem, I had these little feed bags, which were also filled with food, and those were from Revelate Design. Um, and then I had a hand, uh, Robert Tadlock, who's an Eagle, Colorado resident, um, basically is, is into building his own bikepacking bags. And oh, cool. he custom made a frame bag for me for the internal triangle of the hardtail. So you can still access your water bottle. Yeah, so the only water bottles I had, um, I had one on the down tube. Okay. Um, one on the down tube and then two mounted to the fork. Yeah. And that was the only, that was, that was basically my water, my daily water capacity. But then also inside my frame bag, I had a six liter bladder as well as a, like a lightweight backpack that rolled up about the size of a baseball. Yeah. Because um, during Silk Road, we had one section where we went 150 miles with no resupply and then another section where we went 198 miles with no resupply. Wow. Um, That's nuts. So the backpack was used to load up on 
food and water to get through those sections. Yeah, I was going to say, when would you need a six-liter yeah. reservoir? That, that's... And last year at Silk Road, it was notoriously hot, and water was non-existent. This mm-hmm. year, it was not hot, and water was everywhere. So yeah. that I actually never mm-hmm. used the six-liter bottle ever, or the six-liter bladder yeah, ever right. during the event. But the backpack did get used for food yeah. to carry for you know 200 miles or whatever it was. Um, but Silk Road in general is probably the it's the most amount of gear I've ever carried, most amount of equipment I've ever carried. Most of the time, it's there's no frame bag. Most of the time, there's no handlebar bag. The seat bag is usually the go-to, as well as the top two bags and the stem bags. Yeah. At least from a racing standpoint. So on the lines of you know what's next, and you said you got to take a little break here and kind of regroup and figure out what what you're gonna get into, but um, you've been racing bikes, riding bikes, kind of. Uh, long time. Yeah, you've been doing this game for a long time. What, what is the thing that motivates you to to especially to do like these longer ones right. where you really gotta? My biggest on. thing now with as being a quote unquote competitive cyclist um, is to to have a new experience and to see different things, ride yeah. in different places. Um, with the lap format of whether it was cross country or endurance racing or whatever, or typical marathon endurance racing, whatever it was, it's like it seemed like we were always going to the same location and doing the same course year after year after year. Um, now with bike packing, it's, I've ridden bikes in places I would never have otherwise gone to, right. whether it's parts of Idaho, whether it's parts of Colorado, whether it's Kyrgyzstan, Nepal, you know, wherever it might be. Um, like in the future, like the guy that puts on the Silk Road, puts on an event, there's putting on an event this February in Morocco. Um, that's 700 miles. That looks appealing. Um, there's a bike packing race in Tahoe that looks appealing. Um, the stagecoach 400 down in SoCal in the spring also looks appealing. Um, basically it's anything in a new location that fits within the work schedule that looks fun, quote unquote fun. <laughs> yeah. So you're just looking for the experience and yeah, the, yeah. the change in setting yeah. and probably go back to DK again, cause we'll be there for work. Right. So work and pleasure with that one. Yeah. We um, just do the XL or we do probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't like, I, I would love to do the 200, but it's like, I know to be competitive. It's like, I don't like, I don't have the horsepower or the fitness to ride at the front end of that race. Right. With the XL, there's more to it than fitness. Yeah. Which plays to my strengths. Sure. Uh, so I'm thinking about maybe doing the hundred next year. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that could be shitty too. Yeah, I'm going to down, you never know. Downsize. That's just it. It doesn't matter the distance. It's like every, every oh yeah, everything can go to hell. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, I've we've we've all experienced that. Even in the shorter, yeah. race. I, I did uh, the probably the shortest gravel race I've ever done was the um, Rasputista a couple yep. years back. Is that and like snowed and stuff? It or was that this no? Year? It um it had snowed there, but they had a pretty mild winter, and so the they have these ruts that um somebody had driven through the course right. like the day before. And they froze overnight. And so when we got to them, they were frozen. Yeah. And they were probably like, you know, truck tire, yeah. six, eight inches deep. And we're, it's really kind of the last downhill. And we're hauling ass down it. And we the attack had just happened. Like we were in the, you know, lead group of four or five of us. And they attacked on the backside on the climb up to, right. to this descent. And so we're flying down trying to, you know, reel, reel this guy back in. And... I see this guy get kind of sideways in front of me 
and I, so I got on the brakes a little bit, but I realized right then that I'm in this rut right? and I tried to kind of get out of it and just hit my front right. wheel and went down so hard, <laughs> broke my collarbone. You know, I'm in Vermont right? and got to fly back with this broken collarbone. So it's like, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter the length of the race, right. you know, like anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I think that's, I think for a lot of people, you know, maybe that's, um, what they're looking for is, you know, the, and, and nothing to bag on like USA cycling or anything right. like that. You know, I think mountain biking, it appears though, looking at, uh, world championships in the U S you know, last weekend and, right. um, uh, well, that wasn't the world. Champ- it was the snowshoe, world cup. Yeah. World yeah cup. Snow, snowshoe finale was in world cup or was it in snowshoe. So, um, you know, that seems like the cross country yeah. side of things is really thriving, yeah. um, and kind of got a rebirth a bit, but, uh, but I think there's a lot of people that are out there that still, or, or that are kind of getting into cycling that are looking for something that maybe a little bit more of a personal journey right. than, you know, doing a cross country race or a, a crit or a road race, you know, it's so like the Leadville effect, if you will. I mean, it's kind of like what at the Leadville's following the Leadville 100. It's like, it's a, that race is a personal journey for a lot of people. Oh yeah. Which is cool. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and I think feel like we felt, we experienced that whenever we were racing mountain States cup, right. you know, it was like, they were, that was whenever things were going to like short track one day, right. you know, 20 mile cross country race the next day. And so many people were wanting that, like one big 40 mile loop, right. you know, I mean, the crested butte race was, was known for that, right. you know? And, um, and so those kind of races started kind of going away and then right. now they've got this, they, they've got this, this return, um, where I think people want that challenge of, you know, and for a long time, that was maybe the challenge for people was right. to do like a 50 mile race was a long day for yeah, them. It's, and it's now it's so funny how it changes. Like Silk Road is the longest thing I've ever done a thousand miles. Yeah. And I went into it being like, okay, this is, I hope I can get through this. Cause up until that point, I think the longest thing I've ever done was 500 miles or 400 miles. Yeah. So it's. As long as like people keep pushing that boundary, it's like it, the perspectives and everything is always going to change. Because yeah. like if somebody does the Firecracker 50 in Breck and they're like, that was their personal, you know, their PR for distance, ri- you know, ridden. Uh, what's next, Breck 100? Do you take it to that next level? Yeah. Or do you do Leadville 100? Do you do what? You know, how do you get your fix of going further and longer and harder? Right. Well, I kind of explained it as um, you know, you have your your personal reality. Right. You know, and your reality is kind of this, this circle or this like, uh, oval shaped right. thing that you kind of bounce around with inside of, and you push up against that edge ever so often, right. you know, and, and then you see somehow you push beyond that, you know, and for me, like this year it was the right. 350, you know, like I'd never been outside of that bubble, right. you know? And so you push beyond that and then all of a sudden your, your reality has been right. expanded but then all of a sudden you see all these other things, right. you know, like, you know, you, you've got, uh, maybe more knowledge, but right. now you just realize how much you don't know or how much else is out there. Like, there's Holy something. shit. There's something like called the silk road. Right. And it's a thousand miles. It's a thousand miles, but it feels like 2000 miles. Yeah. It's so, so hard. So difficult. Like it's, it's literally like one foot in front of the other. It's like, Okay. I'm still moving forward at one miles an hour, at one mile an hour. Yeah. We're still making progress. We're doing good. Right. 
Like I've never had, I've had that experience in other events, but it lasts for 30 seconds at a time, not half a day or a day. Yeah. Where it did there. Like I don't like having now done that. It's like, I don't know if I would ever enjoy doing races longer than that or day or races measured more than like, I look at it from Silk Road standpoint, like it took me eight days to do it. I would bet five of those days. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Three of those days. I didn't want to be there. Yeah. Like when you add up all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure everybody has that different percentage of how that worked out for them. Well, and I think it's that personal journey, Yeah, you know, as well. Right. Like, um, you know, cause for, for you, you know, right. like now that you've done this thousand mile race, like, is there maybe this 750 right. mile race in Morocco's? Is that right? Yeah. Is going to be, I mean, it's not going to be a piece of cake. That's no. for sure. But, um, maybe that's going to be more manageable. Be, like it should be more manageable, but you right. never know. It right. all depends on the terrain. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I think for people that maybe did the DK this year, they did the 50 miler for right. the first time. Like they, I did the first gravel ride right. and you know, that expanded their reality in a Jump different way. Jump up to a hundred or right. 200. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe just try something completely yeah. different, you know? And I think that that's what people are. Yeah. There's always going to be the, the desire to go more, to do more. Yeah. And that's what, especially if the first experience is somewhat enjoyable. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. yeah. Right. For the most part it's positive. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's inspiring. You know, I think what, like what, for me, my experience with what, what following along with your adventures has been inspiring, you know, nice. to, um, to be able to call on you as a resource right. and just look at what are you doing? You know, if I, if I'm like wondering like, all right, what are the craziest races that these people I'm doing, <laughs> I follow on Instagram right. or friends with are doing, then you're like on the top of that list. Like it's you and Lael are the yeah. ones that are like, all right, what's the, what are the people that are out of their damn minds doing? And it's crazy because it's like you can literally reach out to any of those people and they'll share everything they know. Yeah. It's like it's like everybody knows that it's like you still have to go out. In the end of the day, you still have to go out and do it. Right. But it's like if you can set people up for success, it's only going to make it more enjoyable and progressively make it bigger. Hopefully more people start getting into it. I mean, is that the hope? I mean, I, I would love to see more people. Like Silk Road would whatever there was 150 people this year, I wouldn't be surprised if there's 200 people next year. Sure. Especially because with the media, they have such a big media team and they present it like they don't sugarcoat it. Like they show how kind of crappy it is at times yeah. and what you're getting into. But it's like people like yearn for that desire to be miserable, but then come out on the other side and have it be enjoyable, but then go back into being miserable and right. back into being enjoyable. Do you think that's like ancestral? Do you think that has to do with the fact like, like, is that something that's innate in humans? I don't know what it is. I think it's just like to see like physically what pe what you're like capable of. Like, I don't know. It's whether it's a physical sporting activity or if it's through work or, you know, it's like everybody just yearns to be, or has that desire to be, to be better than they were when, you know, two days prior or when they were, when they signed up. I don't know about everybody. Everybody that's doing these events. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are pretty content with just hanging right. out on the couch and right. skating by. True fact. But I, I wonder about that. You know, yeah, like, I don't know. Like in in previous generations, would people that are like seeking out these type of events, would they be uh, like that nomadic type? Right. Uh, you know, that's that's out there like 
you know, hunter gatherer, or would they be the ones that would be hanging back and just like making bread? No, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a, like with Silk Road, even any of the bikepacking stuff, it's just like, it's just a special breed of people. It's like everybody, it's like, it's like they're wandering souls or something. It's like if they were in that bike race or not in that bike race, they'd probably be out that weekend anyway, just wandering through the mountains with their bike anyway. Right. It's just, this just happens to be a gathering of all those people in a bike race at the same time. Yeah. And they all show up and get through it or don't get through it, but then they all meet at the end and celebrate their successes or miseries. Right. It's crazy. It is, I think, but it's logical. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like to some, to some it's just, it is crazy. And I think for, um, but those that get it, it makes a hundred percent sense. I think it's crazy. The people that like, it took me eight days, but then it's like, it took other people literally the entire 14 days to get through it. Right. Which for me, it's like, that's more impressive than getting through it in seven days or whatever. Cause it's like the mental capacity to be out there for 14 days is just like, it's on a whole nother level. Sure. I mean, for, I had more than five breakdowns yeah. getting through it on eight days. It's like, how many breakdowns does the person have that's doing it in 14 days? Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Breakdown where you're just like ready to throw in the towel. Yeah, just like breakdown of just like helicopter me Bikes out of are dumb. Yeah. You know, it's like this race is stupid. Um, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. Put me back at home on the couch with Karen and Piney. Yeah. You know, it's just like I don't I'm never gonna race my bike again. I think those, those are the things that people go through in life, right? you know, and just like in everyday trials and tribulations, you know, um, and it's just played out in a little bit quicker form on the bike, but it never lasts forever. Like that was my entire mantra of the entire event was this isn't going to last forever, whether it was the five hour hike a bike or feeling like poo or whatever it might be. And it never did. It might last for a day or two, but then it rebounds. But then you're right back in it at some point. Yeah. And you know it's going to come. It's just, do you deal with it again? Or can you deal with it again? Yeah. How long can you ride that wave? Right. And there was numerous people that stopped or dropped out of Silk Road just because they mentally were over it. Yeah. Because they, you can actually go onto the Silk Road Facebook page and they have a, a drop list or a scratch list. And it gives the reason, the people give their reason of why they stopped. And almost every single one of them is... GI issues with with their stomach or diarrhea. And then the other one is just like mental breakdown. Like physically their head wasn't in it anymore and they couldn't do it. Right. Which is pretty wild. Yeah. Well, after I, so my, my experience at DKXL was 28 hours, you know, and we finished before the sunset on day two. And yeah, I could not imagine going back into the, into the darkness one more night. And that was only after one One day, day. you know? So, when you put it in that perspective of multiple days, day after day. And that, and, and like you said, it doesn't, you would assume that it gets a little bit easier and maybe it does right. get a little bit easier, but it's not, there's no guarantees. Right. Yeah. And so. like it all runs together. Like when I, like on day five, I was trying to figure out like exactly what day it was. Like I didn't know anymore. Yeah. Cause this is like, you're basically just riding until the sun sets or you're just watching the sun go up and down, up and yeah. down. And the terrain wasn't really changing that much. It was like one mountain pass, one mountain valley, yeah. the other mountain pass, another mountain valley, water crossing, hike a bike, sun's up, sun's down, 
Yeah, it's all just a blur. Yeah. It's like, what day is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What time is it? That kind of thing. Right. Which is cool and also not cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool because you're like totally cut off from reality. Yeah. But on the flip side of it, it's just like, it's like some mental head spin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to find the, like, what, what are you even doing? You know, like, right. what, what am I, what am I out here for? Do you have something that you clue into when you are out there on those things? Like, okay, why the why behind, like for why me, do you keep going when it turns Every to event's shit? a little bit different. Um, so I went to Silk Road, not like I knew how far it was. I knew how far resupply points were, but what I didn't do was what somebody like Lale did and went and previewed the entire course. Like I literally did not know what was coming around the next corner, which is part of the allure to doing an event like that. Right. Which is what for me is, is I felt like it was a saving grace is because I didn't know what was around the next corner. And that was my drive to keep going to see like what's around the next corner. Is it a, is it a 8,000 foot descent over the course of 10 miles or is it, a wall of 14,000 or 20,000 foot peaks or whatever. We have to go up and over a pass at 14,000 feet. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So for me, it was the desire or the draw to Silk Road was like the unknown for the most part and yeah. being in a foreign country and things like that. Sure. But there's definitely, a, like I said, a ton of low points, but then to get out of those, it was like, keep going because it's going to be probably really, really awesome around the next corner. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know you're gonna right. come out of that. And DK or, really wasn't like that way at all for us. It's like you knew it was just gonna be gravel road after gravel road <laughs> after gravel road, turn left, turn right. Yeah. That was it. Right. But that that event was unique in its own way too. Yeah, I think that every every event is, you know. It's like even if you do it multiple times yeah. that That event was way harder than I thought it would be. DK? Yeah. Yeah. A lot more climbing. I would definitely change some equipment going back, doing it again. Yeah. My equipment I thought was good, but I've, I mean, now I think I've, now that I have a little bit better understanding of what to do whenever you get into these tailspins, or at least whenever I got into this tailspin, like what would have pulled me out sooner. But I don't know if I need to do it again. (laughs) I haven't made up my mind yet. (laughs) Got a long time to think about it. Yeah. There's a lot of other things out there to do too. Right, and that's it. Like yeah. choosing. These like for me, it's like I'm there regardless. I'll be there for work. So it's like, yeah, it's whether I do 350 no miles again or just don't do anything, who right. knows? Yeah, yeah, right. So we'll cool. see. Well, hey man, thanks for uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah. I appreciate you stopping by. No worries. How can um, if people are looking for you on social, how do they find you? Uh, it's usually just at Jeff Kirkove. Great. Pretty much for everything: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, perfect. Strava, whatever it might be. <laughs> Awesome. Cool, man. Well, really, uh, really proud of your success. Like it's, Thanks. it's really fun to watch and follow and, uh, it's fun to have this kind of talent and resource here in, in our area, in our little Valley here. So now you just got to sign up next year <laughs> for Silk. You're hearing it here first. Jake Wells, <laughs> Silk Road mountain race. That's not happening. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah.